This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about enabling business intelligence in your SaaS to accelerate expansion revenues and improve retention. Today, we have our guest, Zandra Moore, joining us. Zandra is a serial entrepreneur and the CEO and co-founder of Pan Intelligence. It's a three-in-one single solution combining business intelligence with quick and easy reporting and powerful predictive analytics in self-service dashboards. Zandra has over 20 years experience in technology and entrepreneurship that has led her to be named as one of LDC's top 50 most ambitious ambitious business leaders in 2020. So welcome, Zandra. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. So we always like to start off. Let's tell us a little bit about your your personal background, past positions and ventures, including No Code Lab and Lean and Leads up until joining and launching Pan Intelligence, I believe, in 2010. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I've always been a, a, a software uh, lady. I've always been in tech and I'm fortunate enough to have had the inspiration at home. My mum was one of the sort of early uh, vanguards in tech. Um, in in my home, we always had uh, a computer and she was selling um, servers and computing into business for companies like digital and then she sold the internet when it was the information superhighway and she sold the cloud when it's called advanced infrastructure provision so it's hard not to be inspired when you grow up with a lady like that at home right so i've always been in tech i had a great role model my career has been from sort of the start uh working for software predominantly in the technology sector so everything from hr software solutions backup and recovery uh time recording systems but always software and and increasingly um uh it was the cloud-based early early SaaS tools that i was involved with so one of the first companies was a, a hr SaaS platform very early on this is going back about uh 14 years ago now and we sold that to walters kluber which is a larger kind of technology group um and then found myself enabling and supporting lots of SaaS founders with their go-to-market strategy through a consultancy business that I ran for a number of years whilst I had a young family because it gave me the flexibility to help other SaaS founders kind of get their products to market and then I came across this fab bit of tech and this amazing CTO called Ken building uh, a product called Pan Intelligence inside another company 
I was helping them as um, a consultant and advisor, uh, completely fell in love with the, the product and the go to market and the opportunity and worked with them to do a management buyout in 2014. And here I am running um, Pan Intelligence today as the CEO and, and taking that business on a scale up journey, which is awesome. Uh, and yes, I've got other interests. I founded No Code Lab last year, which is a no code community, global no code community that brings no code technology together to enable fast and rapid MVP creation for non-technical innovators, which is super exciting. And I'm also the founder of Lean and Leads, which is a 900 plus strong women's network here in the UK, in the north of England, um, that is all about kind of leveling up or uh, enabling women to kind of sit at the seat of the table in all sectors and, and confidently aspire really to be in those leadership roles. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> Cool, cool. If any, anybody in our audience is based in the UK, any women, uh, obviously check out Lean and Leads. In terms of No Code Lab, any any favorite tools you recommend or you love to kind of, uh, you know, recommend to startups to, to kind of kickstart and kick off their business right away? Oh, do you know, there's so many. And in fact, actually, if they go on our No Code Lab website, um, No Code Lab, uh, there's a, a number of different technologies in there they can take a look at. Um, I always feel bad trying to recommend any because <laughs> I always <laughs> don't want to um, pull any out. But maybe uh, one that people don't know about is Ninox. I think that's a really cool tool. Um, uh, you know, everyone's heard of Webflow and all of these tools, but I think Ninox is worth checking out. And we've also got a, um, an app builder called Tap, which is um, T-A-A-P. That's uh, um, uh, another company that we're doing some really cool stuff with the vaccine rollout program here in the UK is, is use the tap platform to get that to market within weeks. So there's some really cool use cases and some of those no code um, lab projects that we're, we're lucky enough to be part of. But yeah, reach out if you want to find out more. Cool. cool. We'll, check, we'll add those to the, to the show notes. Check out ninox.com. Um, so starting talking about pan intelligence. So you started off as the sales and marketing director, right? And then, you, you know, tell us a little bit more. What was that process? You know, you built the idea. I believe you purchased the IP and then you launched and eventually moved your way into the CEO position. How, how did that work out? Yeah, so um, there was three of us that were, were sort of beavering away trying to turn this uh, pan-intelligence product into an independent sort of go-to-market tool for business intelligence and analytics. At the time, we were part of a, a fintech um, where we were sort of alongside technology for big lending systems and uh, end-to-end transactional systems for banking. But we knew we had something that could be applied to lots of different sectors. And in, in this case, we were looking at the technology market and software vendor market because it's an area that I particularly knew well and could see a gap in. Um, and, you know, we had the opportunity to buy the IP, the three of us, Ken, who's the CTO, Mike Cripps was um, the uh, finance director. Um, the three of us were really building this business out. Uh, Mike had that kind of MD, FD leadership role. I was leading on sales and marketing. And, and we just, a combination of strengths that came together to really, we all played to each other's strengths to, to get it off the ground. Um, Mike, um, a, a little older than myself and Ken, uh, he'd made um, his money on the exit of, of Pancredit, which was the business we were part of. Um, so, you know, he really helped us to get off the ground and um, step back from the business in 2019. And it was, you know, Prior to that, we'd always seen that transition of, of me moving into the CEO role as he sort of uh, stepped back from the business and stood down in um, in 2019. So, so yeah, so there was always a kind of plan um, and that's how it worked out. So, uh, you know, I, I can't say I feel very different today than I did when we first did spun out the business. You know, I'm still doing a lot of the same things I used to do then, just uh, probably doing more of this actually, which is uh, talking about the story of the business and, and, and being probably upfront. Um, um, but mostly my, my day doesn't change so much. 
Love it. Love it. And then where are you guys, just for our audience to, to kind of uh, know where you are, where are you guys in terms of SIFs today? And have you guys raised any external capital or are you guys fully bootstrapped? Yeah, so we raised uh, Series A in 2019. Uh, we raised a short of six million US dollars um, as part of our kind of um, growth um, and scale up capital um, to to help us to expand internationally. So we are um, we were predominantly serving a kind of European and UK market, and now very much you know all over the world. A, a lot in the US actually now. A lot of SaaS vendors in the US that we work with. Uh, so yeah, we, we're um, we're UK based predominantly. We have an office in Boston, Massachusetts, um, but yeah, we raised that um, like I say in 2019 as as our first kind of first round of an investment to to accelerate our growth. And you know that's been a really good experience for us. We're certainly uh, benefiting from bringing some additional kind of advice into the business, and you know a chairman who's been fantastic in in helping us kind of grow up a little bit and focus yeah. our. Um, business model in the right areas and our go-to-market strategy so hmm, make, make sense and then can you share for our audience to understand how, how does the platform work specifically for you know for SaaS companies and what problems were you looking to solve in the market for for SaaS founders yeah so we were a, a happy accident really um the the thing with uh, the finance world is they have a lot of data and an awful lot of volume of data that, that is moving quite fast transactionally. And they don't like you to move that around. So when we built the software originally for banks, they were like, hey, don't move our data, please. And we've got a lot of users and we only want them to see what we want them to see. So make sure that you know we've got a, a lot of kind of security that, that that can enable us locking back what people can and can't do and can and can't see. But also, you know, make sure we're not caching any data anywhere on any device. It's got to be compliant with all of these kind of data security in, in the UK PCI compliance. So it was built from the ground up for those sorts of requirements. But actually, if you think about software vendors, it's exactly the same. You know, they've done the hard job of collecting all of this data and putting it into their infrastructure. They've usually got a lot of it. And they have lots of users that need to make sure only see the data you want them to see and often a multi-tenanted environment. So the strengths of our product really fit very, very well into that, that software market. And actually uh, what we saw, because we were a software builder building it for ourselves, right? We'd, we'd done the job of going, we couldn't find anything that met our requirements. So we built it for ourselves. But that was the same. And, it, and actually we recognized that what we'd done for ourselves was what was the same problem other people had. And actually because of the way we'd architected the product around the, the, the way in which the, the, deployment, infrastructure, security, the embedding, the white labeling. It's not just about what you can do at the front end. It's as much about how it integrates within um, a technology stack that that was really different. And uh, and that's where we started. And obviously, over the last five years, we've focused entirely on that embedded space in the cloud. So, you know, we, we deal with a lot of the things that really matter to a SaaS vendor. Um, so, uh, it's about enabling their roadmap to be accelerated on data analytics, not just data visualizations and dashboards, but reported, scheduled, alerted, data-driven, you know, alerts and notifications and reports, whether that's a PDF or a, mm. you know, a CSV or just even a, a web services call, setting something off like a trigger or a notification. So, you know, a scheduler that's driving insights out to people, self-service dashboard, but more importantly, people are trying to work out how they deal with kind of prediction and machine learning. And often SaaS vendors don't have that capability. And in the world we were in, in finance, you know, scorecarding and predicting people that are most likely to pay back a loan, which is the world that we were in, you know, that's been around for a long time. So we've been doing sort of machine learning engines for, for, for 15 years. Um, all we've done is made that a self-service um, uh, layer that software vendors can configure, configure very easily as many 
predictive models as they like. And as new data comes in, kind of score that and then trigger and drive nudge alerts or or just present a list of decisions that people can make, frankly. So we've made it super simple to do three things, you know, hindsight, reporting, real-time, live data visualizations and prediction that and then anybody, any user can do for themselves. So they don't have to rely on their dev team doing it. You know, their, yeah. their end users can do it for themselves. So, you know, yeah, I think it's been, it's been an interesting space to be in. Um, but I don't think if we'd have had that, that early customer base of FinTech, we would be, you know, we'd be where we are now. I think it really helped us to be different. Um, and it certainly stood us, stood us very well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we talk about uh, accelerating the expansion revenues and then also improving, improving retention uh, and also standing out from your competition. Um, you know, why would you say, you know, like using business intelligent reporting analytics is, you know, important for SaaS founders? At what stage should they be consider using it and how can they truly leverage the potential themselves? Like, you know, can you, can you give kind of tactics? If I'm a SaaS founder looking at this, how can I really start using this and, and, and driving my company? Yeah, we, we sort of deal with a number of different stages of sort of SaaS um, uh, growth. So very early stage where there's sort of new entrants or maybe challenger SaaS technologies, we can be used as a way to differentiate from the incumbent SaaS players. So having things like um, prediction or machine learning as a differentiator can really help them to stand apart. So sometimes it's less about... Um, helping existing customers drive value, but actually about differentiating their propositions. So we often mm. find with those earlier stage companies, it's about about their proposition. It's about their go-to-market kind of differentiation. You know, are we an extra crown jewel for them, right? If they're a little bit more mature and they've got a lot of customers, it often is about those key customers that they may be at risk of losing. So it becomes a retention strategy to enable them to get better access to their data quickly, easily for themselves without being frustrated that it's kind of locked away within that SaaS platform. So it can be as much to do with retention. And, and also at that stage, because you can um, license it to be able to give customers a different experience, you can start to create expansion revenue opportunities by unlocking self-service capabilities or advanced analytic capabilities that you can then create upside revenues from and expansion revenues. So it depends on what the compelling reasons are for the SaaS vendor. Sometimes retention, sometimes it's expansion, sometimes it's both. And sometimes it's all three, right? Competitive differentiation on top of that. There can be all sorts of drivers. Um, and it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's easy for us to help people at whatever stage they're at. You know, the technology has been designed that it's a usage-based model. So um, if you're small, you're paying for the value you drive from it. It doesn't, you know, you, you've, we've, got a, we've got a framework of pricing that really enables SaaS vendors to align to their unit metrics. And we just sit and fit with those, which, which helps us sort of scale with them in a way that they can completely forecast model out and, and feel is directly attributed to the value, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you have all kind of, you know, SaaS founders that can use this, you know, early stage, mid-market enterprise, or do you have a kind of focus that you see that gets kind of the highest ROI from, from using it? Yeah, so I, I would say that, you know, um, SaaS vendors that are in that kind of series A to B phase probably drive the greatest value because they're able to create some competitive differentiation as part of that next stage of growth, but also they've got enough customers that they can use it for both expansion and and retention, you know, that point where you're, you know, you've probably had enough customers with you, you may start to, there's a focus on retention, but at the same time, you know, there's also a real um, need to drive expansion. That can be quite a really useful point, especially when people are moving between phases of um, fundraising, you know, as a, mm. by, by enabling this technology, we can, we can, you know, 
uh, have, a, have a, an impact on retention and expansion rate and, mm-hmm. and and show value for that. So I would say that's a good phase for us. But then, yeah, we have people at all stages. But um, yeah, I would say that kind of series A to B to C, maybe, probably now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very different here in the UK. You know, a series A is very different to a, a series A in the sure. US and in other sure. territories. Yeah. So it's a very gross generalization, I think. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, if you let's speak about that kind of market that, that you mentioned, let's say series A plus. Um, if I start leveraging, let's say I'm not using business intelligence, and I don't know if you guys track this with your users or your customers, do you track, you know, what kind of typical ROI or expansion revenue you can start to see if you start leveraging, you know, these tools and software with, within what their their systems? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant question, and I wish I had a really clear mm. answer to that. I think this is an area that we don't always have a lot of exposure to because we're, they're not necessarily passing that through to us entirely. So we will give them a, a cost per unit based on whatever their unit metric is, whether it's a sensor, a customer, a user, or, or, or a site. It doesn't matter. Mm. And they know what that cost is, what they then pass on to their customer, whether they choose to or not, is is within their control. And, and frankly, we don't we don't have visibility or ask for visibility of, of so you know they could be have two hundred percent or five hundred percent uplift on whatever the unit metric is to us. We 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 just define that unit. So um, I don't know. That's not a very great answer, is it? I probably need a better answer to that. I don't know, That's but fine. but no certainly that you know the point is that they have control over that, which is great, right? They mm. they can they can decide whether they. They give it away, or they generate um, um, generate an expansion revenue stream from it. Mm, very cool. So I want to talk about kind of the, the growth story of how you guys got to where you are today, right? You're, you're the, you and the founding team. You guys grew the company now to I think fifty plus employees. You have over two hundred thousand users. Uh, can you share what are some growth opportunities and strategies you could share that you know maybe for other founders who are, who are trying to scale their business and what has worked best for you? Yeah, so we've always been an indirect business model. Um, what I mean by that is we've always been white labeled and embedded. We've never sold directly really to end users. We've had a few, but they've been more by chance or by relationship than by intention and design. So um, we're always white label and embedded. And there's a bit of a challenge with that because our competition are big known brands like Liquor or SciSense and people like that. So people don't often know that we're the engine inside the tool. But as a as a as a scalable growth strategy, it's a it's been a really powerful one for that leveraging ecosystems and networks. It's part of the reason I set up No Code Lab is that we get the benefit of actually the customer has already invested in technology that we become an embedded part of. Um, you know, we we're able to give you know a huge amount of value at a price point, but we get the benefit of actually that user expansion quickly within their base of customers. So you know, we all know that one of the maybe sort of golden areas for SaaS is its usage and, and building that that usage out rapidly. Um, uh, for us, you know, our, our strategy enables us to do that by leveraging the the you know the the the, the relationships that these customers have already, these SaaS vendors have already created within their own base, right? And, mm. um, but yeah, outside of that, we, you know, working more and more with um, alongside technologies. So partnerships with people like ETL providers, such as Matillion, Panoply, database providers like Snowflake, Firebolt, Redshift, or on the AWS marketplace, uh, or even data consultancies that are building out kind of um, data warehouse environment. So, you know, that kind of ecosystem where we're all part of the data story, um, mm. having those relationships helps us to kind of add broader value than just just the embedded technology that we are. So so we can drive a lot of value and, and enable that um, through through other partnerships or, or relationships that we have as well. 
So cool. that works really well for us. Like I say, an ecosystem focus in our go-to-market strategy. Um, no, it makes it. sense. I mean, yeah, but channel channel relationships and integrations, I think that, that works fantastic, right? Leveraging other bigger uh, people's kind of uh, traffic and, and user base. Um, have you tried any kind of growth experience? Maybe I think it's equally important to see, you know, what hasn't worked or what's failed and, and you hope that would have? Uh, so marketplaces, <laughs> Okay. I think, um, interestingly, I've, you know, I, I'm saying one thing and then another, yeah. things, but it's truth, right? Um, I think marketplaces, you know, just building something, putting out a marketplace and hope they will come definitely doesn't happen. Strategic mm. partnerships where you're driving kind of content campaigns and initiatives together and talking to the market in a much more kind of conversational way or in a community way do. But certainly, you know, spending a lot of time and then putting it onto a marketplace and not doing the other part of it really, really doesn't work. So yeah, we, you know, we did that early days with Salesforce, Sage, um, where we sort of, you know, put the energy into getting kind of live on the marketplace, but we hadn't done enough of the, the, the work around it from, like you say, marketing and community engagement and content and building community relationships. Now we do. Um, but yeah, marketplaces need a lot of work around it, if that makes sense. That kind Interesting. Of, um, yeah. so, so you guys did list on Salesforce marketplace and you said you didn't get as much uh, kind of results as you hoped. Was it just because, you know, you didn't really push to to drive it or you know would you we, we didn't we never we never got on the marketplace oh, because we realized yeah we never we realized it wasn't it wasn't going to work for us we did on the sage marketplace we still are on the sage marketplace but they don't um it was a noisy marketplace so the amount of work you need to do to get kind of noticed for us felt like we were we were in the wrong place and actually that's not our go-to-market strategy being a kind of marketplace add-on we're embedded within the likes of a salesforce mm. as opposed to in their marketplace because that's the right kind of strategic partnership for us we were uh, it, it was just a learning very very early on that that mm. wasn't the type of strategic partnership would work for our go-to-market strategy but um yeah it works for a lot of people right and and that's and that's that's not a and not a criticism of anyone chooses to go to market that way. I hope sure. people don't hear it that way. But <laughs> for, for, for us, it, it was um, it was not the model that would enable us to scale um, because we weren't really committed to um, having to work those ecosystems independently. Mm. Um, you, you have to put a lot into that. You have to do an awful lot of work in that ecosystem and be really kind of invested in that partner, that one partner, um, and that's the reality. You've got to be really part of that Salesforce, committed mm. to that Salesforce ecosystem, and and they have to see you very committed to them. Otherwise, you don't get the profile and you don't get the kind of um, visibility, and therefore you don't get the, the the traction, right? So you've got to be very very committed to marketplaces and, and almost dedicated to start with. If you're quite small, I think so. Mm. Make, makes perfect sense. Um, kind of shifting gears, I think you speak a lot about this and I think it's super important for, for founders to learn a little bit from is how do you go about kind of creating a company culture that attracts, attracts and also retains top talent? Because I think that at the end of the day, that's what drives your company forward. You guys have, you know, 50 plus employees now. Um, and what is the culture you kind of like to set and how do you create that? Yeah, it's, um, we had a really great opportunity when the management buy out to kind of rip up the, the book and start again. And, um, you know, we we were all really passionate about creating a culture that that drove uh, innovation, and we all believed that people only innovate when they can take risks and feel safe enough to take risks. And people only feel safe enough to take risks if they feel supported and 
you need to support people by knowing what their ideas are. So you have to have this open culture. So we had these three values, open, supportive, innovative. And, you know, if you've got an open culture where everybody's ideas are valued and then you support them in being able to test out those ideas and let them take as many risks and fail fast often a phrase we hear time and time again, right? But true, you know, if people feel safe and they feel supported, then they'll innovate quickly and they will, they'll try out new things. And that's how you test and validate in an early stage company, I believe. And actually people feel valued if their voices are heard and they're allowed to kind of play to their strengths and do the things that they think will drive value. So, you know, alongside having a culture of you know, an open, supportive culture, which we do, is actually also making sure that you you recognise that if people aren't playing to their strengths, actually, it's probably harder for them than if you put, you know, so we build a role around the person as opposed to a person around the role. So mm. if somebody comes in and we have a, a descri- job description, then we realise they've probably got some strengths they haven't recognised. Often people don't see it in themselves. You know, you have to kind of go, hey, you seem to be like really passionate about it. I'm really good at it. So we will then tailor the role around them and we'll move them into a role with their, with their, you know, with their, you know, obviously with their uh, interest and, um, and commitment and agreement to do so. But um, that is about getting people to play to their strengths and then plugging the gaps around them where, where perhaps they don't play to their strengths. So strengths culture focused on the individual strengths and talent and really kind of making sure that open communications, really supportive dialogue and, and, um, you know, and really embracing that to drive that constant, um, challenging, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing it the right way? And, Mm. um, you know, and and that, that works for us. And I think people are attracted to that because they bring their whole self to work. And when people bring their whole self to work, that's a culture where people are really at ease. They're really themselves. They're all talking openly. They're sharing sharing how they feel. They feel safe. They talk about the things they care about. And often those different attitudes, those mindsets, those, you know, differences between people can be shared and people learn from each other. And that drives empathy, compassion, understanding. It's just powerful if you can get that kind of open culture going. So, and and that's what's really done it for us. It it attracts um, people that want to be part of that. Um, And people then go out and say, hey, I love working here because... (laughs) And that attracts people that want to be in that kind of space, so uh, where they can where they can really bring their ideas to work and have them respected and and play those out in a safe space. I think. Um, so I don't know if I really answered that clearly, but I think that's at the center, that's at the heart. That's the heart of everything that we we do. Yeah. No, you, you did. Yeah, I think having that safe space where people enjoy coming to work. I think that that speaks volumes for 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 everything that 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 continues to attract more people who want to who also want to come into that safe zone. Uh, can you share any, any, you know, mistakes? I think that's important for, you know, something that you've learned along your journey that maybe, you know, SaaS founders can, can reflect on and learn from you and maybe learn, uh, avoid themselves. I've made tons of mistakes and I'm going to continue <laughs> to make tons of mistakes and enjoy making them because I think, um, yeah, I suppose it's, um, not being too tough on yourself when you make mistakes and not being too tough on other people either. I think, mm. um, Mistakes are such a huge part of actually building a successful business or growing as an individual. Um, so I don't know. I think um, it's a, there's, there's lots of things really I could say about that. Um, I feel uh, fortunate that the people that I came into business with early on are people that I still love working with as much today as I did 11 years ago. And um, I think there's an awful lot to be said for 
you know, when it feels right and when those relationships feel right and it's an effortless relationship working with somebody, even if maybe the idea you've got at the start doesn't quite work out, keep working on it until it does because those relationships with those key people are the thing that carry you through all of the change, all of the adversity, all of the change of direction or, you know, the dead ends that you might go down have to come back out of because you're building a business doesn't, you know, you never get it right from the first pitch deck or the first draft of your business plan or the first idea of what you build. It's going to be lots and lots of change and lots of pivots in my experience. So, but the people that take you through that are those, those awesome relationships, those founder, those initial kind of people you bring into the team. Um, and that is the bedrock of everything. It, it's not really the tech, it's those people and the quality of those relationships and the fact that we all sort of complement each other that makes the business work. So for me, you know, um, focus on those relationships and don't worry too much about find, finding yourselves in a dead end or the plan not working out. Just get back together in a room and do what you're good at and, and solve it together. Um, focus on those relationships. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, so shifting gears kind of towards like the rapid fire questions, obviously you can take your time a little bit more personal, but, uh, starting off, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell your 25 year old self? 25 year old self. Oh mm. God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know really. Um, I don't regret anything. And, um, just don't be afraid. God, I think that's a standard line. Everyone it just, mm -hmm. I think don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just try, you know, um, there's no, there's, 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 there's no, um, no failure in trying. Right. And just try, you don't know till you try. It's amazing what you're capable of. Um, if you just try and have a go and, um, yeah, I constantly surprise myself at what I'm capable of. And that's, a wonderful feeling so you know uh, getting rid of that fear and just having a go and and try not to worry about where that might take you i think love it love it um what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow pan intelligence meaning what would you say keeps you up at night these days people people people, people, people. Um, whether it's my <laughs> so whether it's my customers and my relationships with my customers my relationship with my team um the the strategic influences around the business, the communities that we engage with, is the quality of those relationships and that those relationships are driving value for those people that are involved with us and for us as individuals. You know, the quality of relationships is what, I, again, I think drives most successful businesses. So, yeah, I, I always think about whether I've had whether I've had enough of a decent conversation with key people in and around the business or inside the business and when I've you know, actually, I need to speak to that person because I haven't had a good quality conversation with that person for a while. I don't know where they're at. I don't know where that relationship is at. I don't know if we're driving value here. I don't know if they're happy. So that's what I think about all the time. And that tends to keep me, I think, in check with where perhaps the risks are, as well as the opportunities. So mm, Nice. Who or what are the three best resources that can be books or people maybe you follow who you say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Um, so in, in the last 18 months, there's a, a guy called Jacko. I think it's Van der Kooi. I can't remember how he's, uh, but it's winning by design. And I, I know, saw okay. him Jacko, on, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jacko. Yeah. And, um, he was at an, a couple of Sastro or Sastock events that I was speaking at and he was speaking at and, 
oh my God, what utter joy that man is. And I've never seen such a brilliant style of presentation. He kind of DJs through his videos on YouTube. But, you know, if you want to look at kind of SaaS playbooks for, you know, um, uh, that kind of marketing and onboarding, that funnel of kind of sales enabled SaaS, he's brilliant, but just a joy to watch as well. So I've loved it. And I've signposted him to loads of people because I just think, his style, but also his content is awesome. And, and, you know, we all need a little bit of that lighter side of learning and he definitely Mm. makes me smile when I watch his stuff. So (laughs) I love him. Um, one of my kind of go-to books, um, um, for, for my whole career has been the seven habits of highly effective people. And I Mm. still train new members of the team all the time. And some of the core principles of that, including like the important and urgent matrix, because do you want 90% of the times I'm having conversations with people about the things they're struggling with is about prioritization and knowing where to focus their time. We all seem to be time poor and actually helping people to, to work out where they're best spending their energies and just giving them a framework for that thinking seems to be a gap that a lot of people have when they come into the workplace. So, you know, I find that to be a really simple framework and that seems to work very well and consistently, but yeah, a really good kind of classic business go-to book from my point of view, not SaaS related. Um, but there's so much out there at the moment. I, you know, we, we, we really like, um, uh, Gosh, my brain's absolutely gone. I've got, <laughs> I've got the name. Get Latka, um, Nathan Latka. I mean, ah, he's Nathan a, he's a, a Nathan Latka is, um, yeah, his content's great, and you know, he's definitely worth following and getting on webinars too. There's loads. Yeah, there's just a few. Definitely. Yeah, Yako and Nathan are great. I was actually on uh, Nathan Latka's show a couple of months ago, and, and Yako was on as well. So that was fun on the Dealer Bus show, and, and he's 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 a fun character for sure. Uh, and yes, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People always recommended. Great book. Uh, I'll add that to the show notes if you guys haven't read that book. Uh, you should pick it up today. Um, Zandra, what does success mean to you today? Either personally, financially, business, life. There's no right answer. Um, I'm really motivated by uh, seeing a change in diversity in tech. Like it really motivates me massively. And I think people can, it's hard to be what you can't see. And I take, I feel a sense of responsibility to kind of um, ensuring that um, we constantly challenge that agenda as an industry. And uh, and I, I'm really passionate about the opportunities that diversity brings to building better tech and enabling us to build better solutions to real world problems by having diverse teams. And also, you know, would love to see more women leading tech companies. I think, frankly, it's, you know, only going to do good things for the industry. So, um, yeah, so what really floats my boat? You know, that's that's an area that I get really, really passionate about, do a lot in, focus on outside of work. And um, yeah, a really good result for me is to have been a small part in the story of enabling a change in diversity in this industry. Uh, whatever, however small, if that just influences, inspires a few people to perhaps take decisions they wouldn't have taken and to accelerate their careers or step into leadership positions or, you know, influences or inspires um, young people that are taking choices at school, whatever that might be, that would be, that'd be a huge result. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking for more, you know, women uh, tech founders to jump on the podcast. If you know anybody or anybody listening in who wants to, to be on our, get on our show, I think we'd, we'd love to have you. I think we're we're pretty good. I think I would say maybe 30, for, 30 or 40 percent of our guests are, are probably women, but we'd like to get that up to be at least 50 50. <laughs> so if you guys are listening, feel free to reach out. Um, so, Zandra, kind of last question here. Where can our audience uh, or, or founders get in touch with you to learn more about how they can start leveraging business intelligence with their business and, or just get in touch with you to say hi? Uh, so LinkedIn is my absolute favorite um, uh, medium of choice. So uh, if anybody uh, 
connects with me and says they've they've been on this podcast, I absolutely will reply. I will connect. I, I love I love to to make connections that way. And then if we we can jump offline onto whatever channel that everybody would prefer at that point. But yeah, find me. I, I've got an unusual name which helps. So Zandra Moore and again Pan Intelligence. So you just type that in and you'll find me. And then just connect and we'll start there. We'll start the conversation there uh, at Zandra Moore on Twitter. If you prefer Twitter, uh, again, I'm fortunate to have an unusual name. It's pretty easy to find. But yeah, start there and I'll I'll be sure to to follow up. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for jumping on a SAS District Show today, Zandra. It was, it was great chatting with you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite and good luck with this. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great way to share stories. Definitely. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.